This is the Horse Radio Network. Welcome to the Horse Nutrition Podcast presented by Purina. From our research farm to your barn, Purina's team of PhD equine nutritionists take you on a journey through all stages of your horse's life, from foals to seniors and everything in between. You'll come away with advice and knowledge on how to best feed your equine companion to unlock their greatest potential. This is Dr. Wendy Ying. I'm a veterinarian from Sarasota, Florida. And this is Dr. Kelly Vineyard, a senior nutritionist with Purina from my home office in Gainesville, Florida. Today on the Horse Nutrition Podcast, presented by Purina, we take a look at some of the most common equine nutrition myths. We'll attempt to verify or bust some of the most common myths that include bran mashes, corn, beet pulp, oats, and reading the feed tag. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy. Like I said, I'm from Sarasota, Florida. I'm a carriage driver and a rider, and I'm also a veterinarian, and I'm a host on the Horse Radio Network, and I am here with Dr. Kelly Vineyard, who is a dressage rider and a PhD in equine nutrition and works at Purina. Hi, Dr. Kelly. Hi, Dr. Wendy. Well, Dr. Kelly, you have such an exciting job. Tell us what you do over there at Purina. Well, I do a little bit of uh, everything. Uh, No two days are the same, it seems like. I've been with a company almost 10 years, and as uh, one of the senior nutritionists, I get to work on research and development with new horse feeds. I work on educating both our sales force and our dealers and also our customers on a wide variety of equine nutrition topics. And I spend a lot of time making sure The information we put out is scientifically accurate. I attend industry meetings and scientific meetings, trying to stay up on the latest advances in nutrition. I'm on the road quite a bit. I get to visit with farms and and horse owners and trainers and helping them with their nutrition plans and a little bit of things in between. I work a little bit with marketing and our messaging. I work on our social media and then I get to talk to people like you. So growing up as a horse person, you must have some pet peeves, right? Like we're talking about Mythbusters today. There are so many things that horse people talk about, like I had a horse once that did this, or my old trainer told me this and blah, blah, blah. So let's talk about some Mythbusters for equine nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we've all heard them. I mean, as a horse person, I know I followed a lot of myths up until I graduated with my PhD in nutrition until I learned that, you know, some of this stuff isn't really backed in science and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where are some of the places we, we get these myths from? I mean, I think it's kind of everywhere, you know, from tradition, uh, you know, what your family did, what your granddad fed his horses or, you know, even like what your trainers feeding their horses and then what they've had success on, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in every single horse. And mm-hmm. my, my very favorite kind of source of a myth is, has to do with like when you buy a new horse. And I think everybody's gone through this. You, you buy a new horse and the previous owner says, okay, this is what I feed this horse. It's, you know, XYZ grain. And then that horse ends up eating XYZ grain for the rest of his life because that's what the previous owner fed. And mm-hmm. nobody ever thinks to question, wait a minute, did that previous owner feed them the right thing? Did <laughs> you they know, buy it because like, it had a purple bag? Right. <laughs> and, or never feed this horse XYZ. Never feed this horse alfalfa because it's going to make him crazy. Right. Well, do you take their word for it or what? what's 
Is that real? Is that a myth? I would say yes, you know, because (laughs) we're going to talk about that. (laughs) Okay. So what's your number one thing you want to talk about? Well, I mean, there's several good myths that, that I think are floating around out there, but I think that number one, that's still pervasive in the industry. And I, I wish that people would start to, uh, just accept the fact that this is a myth is the fact that uh, brand mashes are laxative or they have a laxative effect in horses. Mm-hmm. It's just not the case for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, and this is what surprises most people, I think, is so when you actually look at the ingredient brand, we as people, we eat brand muffins and, right. and right. brand, you know, to that's increase fiber in our diet from, from the brand I mean, muffin. It works, right? I mean, that is high fiber for for us humans. But in equine, hay has way more fiber than bran. And even oats contain more fiber than bran. So bran is not a high fiber ingredient in a horse diet. So, you know, that's... As an equine nutritionist, can you explain to people what bran is? Because I think people don't even understand what bran is. So basically, it, it is the outer coating of of a seed. So whether that seed be an oat or a a wheat, kind of a seed from a wheat or, and and that's typically when we feed bran to horses, it is is wheat bran, but it is basically the outer coating. And so when they process wheat for human consumption, like for flour, they remove all the bran and then they just get left with the germ that's inside. And Mm. the bran is kind of a leftover byproduct, but it's very useful. They'll use it in other human applications. And then we also use it in the feed industry. Right. There can be some downsides to feeding bran. Like you can, there's diseases involved with feeding too much bran. One of my favorites is called big head disease. I love that. (laughs) Big head (laughs) disease. That's right. And, and, and basically that's just an imbalance in calcium and phosphorus in the overall diet. Bran is very high in phosphorus. It has more phosphorus than it does calcium. So if you're feeding a lot of bran and you don't balance calcium, so add calcium back in, you can create big head disease because basically the calcium gets leached out of the bones in the horse's face and it makes those facial bones turn soft. And that's what creates the appearance of a big head. You used to see it a lot more often many, many years ago before Mm -hmm. kind of balanced grains were were readily available. But I mean, I have actually dealt with it personally multiple times as a nutritionist, especially in people who want to feed whole grain diets, but they don't Mm -hmm. understand about balancing and and it still happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people, you know, spend a lot of money to buy a balanced feed, but then you add in things like brand. Now you're screwing up your calcium phosphorus balance. No, totally. It's not just innocuous feeding bran. But, you know, feeding bran mash once in a while as a treat can be good for the horse and the people. But don't look at it as you need it as a laxative. Sure. And, you know, that definitely that's a great point. I mean, one of the benefits of a bran mash is increasing water consumption. You know, you you soak the bran and so that therefore they're going to eat, take in more water. And, you know, in cold weather, when horses stop drinking and you mm-hmm. want to, or if you have a sick horse that's not drinking or eating and, and brand mash can be pretty palatable in those like one-off instances, absolutely. Brand mash can have a good place in a horse diet, but the old practice of brand mashing on every Saturday night or every Sunday night, you know, <laughs> once a week in the barn, I mean, w- look at what you're doing to your horse's microbes in their hindgut. You're mm-hmm. introducing something that they're not, it's not used to digesting once a week. 
Is it going to create a little bit of uh, loose feces? Yeah, maybe. And that's because there's a little bit of, you know, hindgut upset going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. not because of laxative. It's because those microbes are dying off and there's a problem. And so you you would never feed a grain, just kind of cold turkey or any other feed stuff without acclimating a horse. And you really shouldn't do it with bran on a regular basis either. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. You Like there's no other food you'd say, oh, I'm going to give my horse a big old bucket of whatever. Right. Just right. on Saturday night. <laughs> You're right. That's a yeah. good point. So, and you know, you can make a mash with your horse's regular concentrate, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you may be feeding, you can add some warm water to that, you know, maybe add yeah. a little brand to help it soak up some water, but not enough to really imbalance everything, mm-hmm. you know, throw a couple carrots or apples in there. And that's really tasty. And yeah. it's a great treat. You know, if it makes you feel good uh, and they drink more water, I'm all for it. Yeah. Okay, another thing you mentioned earlier is one of my huge pet peeves about how people think alfalfa or diets high in protein or corn make horses hot. Yes, I hear this one a lot. And pick your poison, you know. Yeah, it could be alfalfa or high protein is common, corn is common, but it also could be, you know, this XYZ feed makes my horse hot. And what I always say is you need to differentiate between energy and then the ingredient at hand. So mm-hmm. what do all those things have in common? What do all the ingredients have in common? They have in common energy. Alfalfa tends to be a higher energy forage than hay. Mm-hmm. Uh, corn is a higher energy grain than say oats or other, other grain types that we feed horses. And so if you're ever going to feed excessive calories to a horse that's especially not getting a lot of exercise, mm-hmm. well, yeah, you're increasing the chances your horse is going to have some extra energy. He's got to get out. <laughs> right, right. You might. So it really comes down to calories and energy, not necessarily a single ingredient. Uh, like you, know, you have kids, you have little kids, right? You wouldn't like go on a really long car ride and just feed them like candy right before right, you go. Right, the whole way, right. Because all of that, they're going to get a lot of energy from that. And believe me, my kids do react to lots of sugar. It is, <laughs> it is not meth, <laughs> especially if they're cooped up. And so, same same way right. with a horse. And and I think the myth with the protein, you know, high pr- protein makes horses hot. Mm-hmm. I think this came from maybe back 20 years ago or so when, when these commercial mixes were coming out and they'd have higher protein, like a 14% protein typically would be associated with a higher energy feed as Mm -hmm. well. People didn't realize that they were just seeing, Oh, well, this is a 14% protein as opposed to 10. My horse is more energetic on this. Well, it's because he was getting more energy because they, they included more grain ingredients and maybe it was a higher quality feed. It had more energy, but now in the advent of fat added diets, you know, you can have a, 10% 10% fat feed with a 10% protein. And that can actually have a lot of energy as opposed to something else with more protein if it has a lower fat and, and you know, lower energy content. So it's really about the calories, not the ingredient. Another one that I really deal with in my practice is about beet pulp. I have some people that love beet pulp. They think they feed it for everything. And I have other people that hate beet pulp and they would never feed beet pulp. What do you think about beet pulp? Well, I mean, easy answer is I love beet pulp. It's a great source mm-hmm. of digestible energy. When you talk about digestible energy, it's basically what can the horse extract out of it in terms of calories and utilize those. And if you compare, you know, a, a good quality grass hay to an equal amount of beet pulp, the beet pulp has more energy per pound than, than mm-hmm. good quality ha- grass hay. 
So that's why if you want to make a horse gain weight, you feed him beet pulp. I think that's kind of a half myth because mm-hmm. there's a, you have to take it a step further to actually be effective for weight gain uh, in that sense. You need to actually take away some of that lower energy hay and replace it with beet pulp. So, you know, if, if you're only feeding one pound a day of beet pulp, you're probably not going to get a lot of weight gain in a horse mm-hmm. that needs, that's eating a bunch of grass hay. But if you take away, say, 10 pounds of grass hay and replace that with 10 pounds of beet pulp, their daily energy supply is going to go up greatly. And that's going to result in definitely in some weight gain. And um, tell us um, where beet pulp comes from. Well, it's basically, again, another byproduct of the sugar beet industry. And, you know, a lot of people think the word byproduct just automatically means something that you don't want or floor sweepings. But no, mm-hmm. beet pulp is a byproduct, but it's it's a very, very useful byproduct. The sugar beets are grown commercially uh, for their sugar. And, and basically, the beet pulp is the fibrous material that's left over after all that sugar has been extracted. And, and that extraction is really just a mechanical extraction process. They use a lot of hot water and like kind of a counter current exchange system and, and this machine they call it a diffuser. And, and so after all that sugar has been extracted, the pulp is left over. They'll dry it and they'll either pellet it or shred it up for use in livestock feeds. And so it doesn't have a lot of sugar in it. The sugar is taken out. That's right. Most beet pulp, I mean, that's another kind of benefit of beet pulp. It has Mm -hmm. a low glycemic index. So even though it comes from the sugar beet, the sugar has been removed. Now, I know you've seen molassed beet pulp or molasses added beet pulp. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people kind of, you know, they think they might want to steer clear of that because of the high sugar content. But usually that rate is only less than 5%. It does a lot of good things. It kind of makes the beet pulp a little more palatable. It reduces Mm -hmm. dust. And it really only raises the sugar content by about 2%. So, you know, as long as a horse doesn't have a sugar sensitivity, I mean, I don't have a problem with feeding the last beet pulp at all. I actually prefer Mm -hmm. it. And what about the myth that you have to soak your beet pulp or they're going to choke? Well, (laughs) that, that is a good one. So, first of all, there are a lot of commercial feeds out there that contain a large proportion of beet pulp and people feed those every single day in this Mm -hmm. country and they don't soak that feed and these horses are doing well. You know, that being said, there's some studies where they fed dry beet pulp up to about 10 pounds a day, not soaked with no problems. Now in those studies, those were, you know, what I would say like normal horses with normal dentition, normal teeth. Personally, I kind of have my own rule of thumb because there are horses that might have trouble with that amount of beet pulp, especially mm-hmm. if they have bad teeth or if they eat quickly, you know, in a, in a situation where they bolt their feed, you know, in competition with other horses. Yeah. I like to say if it's not a problem and you're feeding more than a pound or two of, of dry beet pulp, just go ahead and add some water to it just to be on the safe side. That's mm-hmm. sort of kind of my own personal rule that I like to follow. But it really depends on the situation because there are horses that can do fine without it being soaked up to about half of their total forage proportion of their diet. I know a lot of people when they're feeding either commercial diets or they're making their own diets, they like to sometimes cut their feed with oats. What do you think about that? Cutting their, like if you buy a commercial diet, why would you add oats to that? Well, you know, it's funny. I thought you were about to just ask me cutting your feed with beet pulp. But I, I think uh, my answer kind of goes for both. Let's keep talking about beet pulp for one second and then I'll switch to oats. Okay. So, cause a lot of people do feed a commercial feed 
and then they add beet pulp to it. And so let me talk a little bit about the negatives of beet pulp. And one is that it is, has an imbalanced calcium phosphorus ratio. So it's like a 10 to one, 10 parts calcium to one part phosphorus. So mm-hmm. if you feed a lot of beet pulp and usually like more than two pounds dry can be at risk of uh, an imbalanced calcium phosphorus ratio in the diet. You might want to check with a nutritionist to, to double check your numbers mm-hmm. or, or run your own numbers. The other kind of issue with with beet pulp but it has a moderate amino acid quality so I mean it might be 8 to 12 percent protein on average but the amino acids really aren't that high quality you don't have a lot of lysine and methionine in there especially for growing horses so that would be something you might need to supplement there's not a lot of good trace minerals in, in beet pulp and there's not a lot of antioxidants in beet pulp so it's a great fiber source it's a great ingredient but it's as a standalone feed it does fall short so you may have to supplement to get some of those other essential nutrients in the diet. And if, you, and if you're feeding beet pulp to a horse to gain weight or put bloom on them, those are all important things that are lacking in there. So you maybe feel like, oh, I'm feeding all this beet pulp and my horse is not looking any better. Well, maybe that's because of the quality of the amino acids, like you're saying. Right, because he's missing some other nutrients. So that's why I really like one of our commercial diets is Omeline 400, which I think is kind of like an underutilized feed. I mean, a a lot of horses on the track use it. It's actually a complete feed. It is a beet pulp based feed. So it's Mm -hmm. look at it. I mean, it's primarily beet pulp, but it's got everything added in. So it's balanced. It's got the fat nugget built in. It's got, you know, all the, the vitamins and minerals are balanced. It's got a really great amino acid profile. And I mean, it's right there all in one bag and you don't have to mix anything and it will help put weight on a horse. It's really palatable. It's beet pulp based. I love using that if, you know, I really want to put some weight on a horse and replace part of the hay. Mm-hmm. I'll use only 400. It's a, a good so that'd be good play. for like horses that really can't have a lot of hay if they have like COPD and they're looking kind of bad yes. and they need some dust free. Yes. Forage source. Yep. Only 400 is, is if you're a big beet pulp fan, like I am, I mean, it's, it's a mm-hmm. great alternative to just plain beet pulp. Yeah. Um, well, that's but, good advice. Yeah. So, but kind of going now and moving to oats, you ask about cutting feed with oats. And this is something, again, I, people love to do because horses have an oat requirement, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, all horses they need oats. Race horses, and you need to feed it by the coffee can. That's right. A co- he's a coffee can. It doesn't matter what size your coffee can is. It just nope, is doesn't matter what can. size. I mean, there are a lot of good qualities about oats. They have a a higher fiber content, even than bran does. It's good starch. So for horses that that need glycogen replenishment, that need sugar and starch in their diet, it's a a really good source of that. But by themselves, they are imbalanced. So oats kind of have the opposite problem as beet pulp. Oats are high in phosphorus and low in calcium. So again, kind of like bran, you feed too many oats in the diet and it's not balanced with enough phosphorus, you're going to get big head disease. Mm -hmm. And actually that's where I, in my experience and the the cases I've dealt with are usually with people feeding straight oats. And, you know, in one case, poor horse got no hay, (laughs) you know, he had all oats, his whole entire diet. Yes, he's going to have some problems. But when you talk about just cutting, like say you're feeding a commercial feed that's balanced and you add, you know, three, four, up to five more pounds than oats, all that it does is dilute the ration. So Mm -hmm. it's adding calories, it's adding sugar and starch, it's adding fiber, but it's not adding in a significant amount of nutrients that's 
going to be in the concentrate feed and that just kind of goes down and down and down. So you're at risk, especially with nutrient, like your trace nutrients, you know, copper and zinc, selenium, you know, you're really running a risk that the horses, he's getting a lot of energy, but now the nutrients he's getting continue to go down and it's not going to be in a level that's going to support all of everything else that needs to go into for that horse to expend that energy, you know, tendon health, immune function, you know, muscle recovery, following exercise, you know, Mm -hmm. that's all dependent on nutrients, amino acids and minerals and vitamins, which the oats really don't have. So you're getting plenty of energy. Yeah. Right. And if you're doing a sport that makes your horse require that many calories that you feel like you want to add oats, then you really are doing them an injustice because now they're set up, like you said, for muscle injuries, for tendon injuries, especially like growing horses. Like if you feel like, oh, I have all these babies and I want to stretch my feed budget Mm -hmm. by adding oats. Well, you can be doing real damage to growing horses by not feeding them a proper diet. Yeah, the growing horses especially are are probably at the biggest risk because they are are much more sensitive to that calcium phosphorus ratio than any other class of horse. Mm -hmm. So you start you start getting too wide of a gap there. You're going to see it in your growing horses first, and it makes me really nervous (laughs) to see you know people feeding a lot of oats without supplementing it, you know, either with a balance or, or paying really close attention to, to what's in that diet, because it's so easy to get off track with growing horses. Say people are listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, now I'm really confused because I thought all this stuff was true. And now I don't know what to feed my horse. What, where's the, what's the first thing they can do to educate themselves into being a good horse steward and feeding them the proper diet? I guess there's a a lot of things. And I was actually thinking about this when you're talking about myths and where do we get our myths from? And we we talked about that a little bit. And so on the flip side, there's also where do you get good nutrition information from? And Mm -hmm. there's, there's a a pretty good list. First of all, if you're, you know, veterinarians like you, Dr. Wendy, I mean, Mm -hmm. you guys are a very good source of nutrition information. And then, you know, they never listen to it. They never (laughs) listen to us with our nutrition. Well, They should, <laughs> because they if, should. They, if they don't listen to you and they really don't listen to nutritionists sometimes, <laughs> I feel like, you know, definitely nutritionists are second on the list because number one, there's just not as many of us. And number two, you have to be really careful when someone calls themselves a nutritionist, that can mean a lot of different things. It doesn't mean um, that you work at the feed store. That does well, not make you a nutritionist. Right. <laughs> that, it, that it doesn't mean you have a blog on the internet <laughs> that you like to talk about nutrition. <laughs> yeah. But it, what it does mean is you have a master's degree or a PhD or both specifically in nutrition and that you studied it in an animal science program in a university that's science-based and that you were trained in the science of animal nutrition. Mm-hmm. And and so I'd like to make that distinction. Um, but, you know, you can find nutritionists in a lot of different places. Number one, your universities, especially your land-grant universities, there's mm-hmm. usually going to be a horse nutritionist there. Um, and like an your extension, extension agent. Yes, yeah. your extension agent, such a service. Obviously, industry nutritionists like myself, a lot of people think, oh, well, they're just biased and, you know, they just want to talk about their own feed. Well, give us a chance. <laughs> we, we're, we're nutrition scientists first. And I, th- I think industry nutritionists are, are a good source as long as they have proper training. And mm-hmm. then there's obviously some private nutritionists out there that are really good as well. 
there's some really good industry publications, you know, as long as they're, they're very reputable, they have a good following and the people who are writing articles about nutrition have credentials. That's always a good source. And then I guess, you know, the end all be all is to go to the nutrition texts like the NRC, you know, textbooks, and then the scientific literature. You know, if you're really wanting to find out something, you can go straight to the, the journal articles. But those are all good, reputable sources of nutrition. But you got to be really careful, you know, when you're just Google searching something and it pops up in a chat room discussion about nutrition, you just, there may be some good advice in there and you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt though and think about, you know, where did this come from and is this really backed by science? Right. And at PurinaMills.com, your website, you have a ton of great informative videos, like just short videos that give you some really great little pearls of wisdom. Well, yeah, I mean, we're all the nutritionists at Purina, we're, we're all about education and we really like to kind of brainstorm and what are some little topics that we know that horse owners have questions on. There's a lot of little videos. There's also several articles and we have a good search function and you can, you can search, you know, whatever topic you may want to learn more about. And, you know, the thing is, it is our Purina site. So when you go on that site, you'll, you'll learn about the condition or, or whatever topic you want to know about. And then we'll tell you products in our lineup that will fit that topic. So whether it's feeding horses with starch sensitivities, we'll give you examples of, of, you know, our products that are appropriate for those mm-hmm. types of horses or, you know, horses with poor teeth or senior horses, you know, we'll go through and, and, and specifically give some practical tips as well. Yeah, I think that's really important because they want to learn what what they need to do about their situation. But then how do you implement that? You know, so like Sam down at the feed store, like, how do I know what I need? Right. I mean, if you're at the feed store, hopefully you probably educated yourself a little bit before you got (laughs) there (laughs) and then go in there knowing what you want to know and then knowing where to look for what you don't know. One of the big things you do have at the feed store is the feed bag itself and the tag. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about the feed tag. Reading and comparing feed tags to help determine, you know, which horse feed to buy is, I mean, it's hard. I mean, I right. help write feed tags and I can tell you it's hard. I think it's hard too. And, and the text is really small and they always put the, <laughs> like, they, they always sew across some really important information. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, the thing is, sometimes that's all you have to go on. And the problem is it, it's not always going to give you everything you need to know, but mm-hmm. it is a legal document. So, so by law, all feeds have to have a tag, whether that's printed on the bag or sewn in. Now, here's a good little tip. If you're looking at a feed and there is no guaranteed analysis on, on that feed anywhere to be found and it didn't mm-hmm. get ripped off, that's feed is not legal and you definitely shouldn't be feeding it. Um, it's kind of one of those fly under the radar type products and they're out there. But like the ones that say this is animal feed for cows and goats and horses and <laughs> well, llamas, even some right? of those will have a guaranteed analysis on them, and those would be legal. But there are some that people are making and selling in local feed stores that haven't gone through the AFCO approval and haven't mm-hmm. been registered with the state. And there's all sorts of issues with some of these feeds that, that don't have a proper tag that's you know required mm-hmm. to be there. Um, you've got to have the product name and weight on that tag. That's by the law. Yeah. You've got to have a purpose statement. So this is something I think people often forget. 
but it should be on every single horse feed tag. And basically what that is, is it's a statement that says what type of feed this is and what type of horse you're supposed to feed it to. So is it a complete feed or concentrate? And is it for mature horses or growing horses or performance Mm -hmm. horses or maybe all of the above? But you'd be surprised at how many people are out there, like, say, for example, feeding their growing horses a feed for a mature horse. And that's the problem because those two types of feed would be formulated differently. And then the big thing that's going to be on there is a guaranteed analysis. And that is set by law. AFCO dictates this. American Association of Feed Control Officials is what AFCO is. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have crude protein, crude fat, crude fiber, calcium, phosphorus. And, and there's a set list of what's required. Certainly not every nutrient is guaranteed on the tag. I mean, you'd have to print like a tag, you know, mm-hmm. mile long to get all the nutrients. But just these are the big biggies that you hit the top. Um, and then and most people gonna, just look at that crude protein, like you said, 10%, 12%, right. blah, blah, blah. But and there's other things involved. So much more. I'm more interested in what's in the amino acids. And that is mm-hmm. not required by law to be on the tag. So a lot of times you won't see that on a tag. So that's where you might have to go do some investigating. Pr- primarily email the company and ask them if, you know, if they don't have that, what's the lysine level. And a lot of feeds will have lysine and methionine and even threonine depending on the feed i know in our purina feeds several of ours are are guaranteed on the tag but if it's not there you can always ask what about Um, people that are worried about their horse having issues with too much sugar do they put the sugar and starch on the feed tags so right now no it is not required unless there is a claim made in the marketing material so maybe on the back somewhere if it says this is intended for, you know, horses with sugar and starch sensitivities, or if it says this is a low starch feed, then mm-hmm. yes, it will have to be guaranteed on the tag. So that's pretty oh, helpful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have a horse that, that's insulin resistant or, you know, with Cushing's or you have a concern, you know, look for the ones with the guarantee on the tag because mm-hmm. that's the only way you'll know for sure. Right. Um, so a lot of our feeds like Wealth Solve LS and Strategy Healthy Edge, Enrich Plus, those we talk about those feeds being appropriate for horses with insulin sensitivities and it's guaranteed right on the tag. Now what happens if you know you said AFCO dictates this, but do they test them? Do they have a regulatory body that makes sure that, that their claims <laughs> right. are true on the tag? So yes, AFCO kind of does go and and it's actually the states will go in and Sometimes they'll do these spot checks to make sure, and, and they're going to hit the big ones. Like, are you hitting the protein mm-hmm. that's on your tag? Or, you know, maybe the sodium, or if that's on there, or maybe it's a mineral. So yes, and and and, and guess who they focus on? <laughs> they focus <laughs> on the big guys, you know, right. for good reason because that's what's saturated in the market. And we at Purina will get tested quite often, and we have learned over the years, you know, that we need to meet our tag guarantees. I mean, that's really mm-hmm. important because we don't want to get a stop sale. I mean the what could happen is if, if you don't meet that tag guarantee, they'll pull pull your feed from the from the market in that state. And mm-hmm. that's a bad day for everybody. Yeah. But that being said, that's a good point to say, you know, a lot of people will ask, well, why don't you guarantee more things on your tag? Because you you'll go to some companies and they do have a list a mile long. You know, everything is guaranteed on there. And several yeah. things that maybe aren't even required by the horse or uh, some type of additive or, or some type of kind of more obscure nutrients. 
And, and that's all well and good. And, and I would say that just because something's not guaranteed on, on a tag, it doesn't mean it's not in there. It just, Mm -hmm. it just means we've chosen not to put it there for a variety of reasons. One that is very well part of our proprietary formula and we don't want to just share that with the world. What I would say is if there's a nutrient you really need to know about for a certain medical condition, or if there's a good reason for it, I mean, absolutely ask the company, you know, Mm -hmm. they should know. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can tell you, but going on beyond the nutrients, you know, just as important are the ingredients and knowing is this company utilizing high quality ingredients that are digestible and the ingredient listing will be on a tag. And in some states it's required to have individual ingredients. Some states is required to have collective ingredients. And just because you, you know, you have a collective ingredient listing that does not mean it's, it's, it's byproducts or, or poor quality. It, it's really mm-hmm. determined by the state and it's determined by the feed manufacturer. So what's really more important is kind of what I call the recipe. <laughs> How much of each ingredient is in that feed? That is not on the tag. I mean, that we can't put that on tag. That is highly proprietary information. Right. That's what makes feeds separate and differentiate from each other. You could have two feeds with the exact same ingredient listing and the exact same nutrient analysis. They perform very differently. So the end all be all is horse performance in that case. You know, mm-hmm. how does the horse really perform? And then how do we know how their horse performs is kind of the the, the last piece for me is what a feed tag does not tell you is the research behind the feed. So, I mean, how could, I wish we could quantify that. (laughs) I wish there was like a guaranteed (laughs) analysis, hours of research put into this feed, because I think horse owners would be shocked at number one, at how many hours are go into our Purina feeds. Sometimes it, you know, it's so high. I even shake my head. I'm like, wow, you know, (laughs) did we need all of this? And usually we do because we're always tweaking. We want to, make sure that our feeds are kind of performing to the way we expect them to be. But I think a lot of horse owners would be surprised to know that there is no requirement for research. A company could come up with a product, put it in a bag and sell it tomorrow. And and there's no requirement. It's to be fed to a horse. Number one, to make sure the horse ate it or that it was safe. And certainly not to make sure it actually performed the way it was supposed to. That's one of those things you just have to do your research on companies and find out what type of research they do and, and do they even even do research and it's hard to develop a feed that performs and um, yeah. at Purina that's to me that's what really is the end-all be-all that sets us apart is we're doing the science we're doing the research it might take us a little extra time to get these feeds out the door But once they're out the door, we know they're going to work. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kelly. And now let's go to our Purina horse highlight. And now let's hear about one of the lucky horses that help us develop new products at the Purina Animal Nutrition Center. Today's horse highlight is Hollywood. Hollywood is an eight-year-old thoroughbred gelding that we purchased from an off-the-track placement facility for thoroughbreds. He actually starred in the movie war horse and then came to us to be a research horse. Hollywood does exercise physiology work for us on our treadmill and you can see a picture of Hollywood in the show notes for today's episode. To learn more about the products discussed in this episode and all the products offered by Purina, visit PurinaMills.com. We also have direct links to the products and a picture of our highlight horse in this episode's show notes. The Horse Nutrition Podcast is available on most podcast players. Just search for the Horse Nutrition Podcast by Purina. 
It is also available with the Other Horse Podcasts at horseradionetwork.com or on the Horse Radio Network phone app. Just search for Horse Radio Network on your iOS or Android device. Until the next Horse Nutrition Podcast by Purina, enjoy the precious time you have with all your equine friends.